Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel in chapter 10, reading verses 24 and 25, where Jesus says, The disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? In his book, Tortured for Christ, Richard Vermbrand tells the story of a Romanian pastor named Florescu. This man was tortured with red hot iron pokers, with knives, and was beaten. His starving rats were driven into his cell through a large pipe so that he couldn't sleep. If he rested for just a moment, the rats would attack him. He was forced to stand for two weeks, day and night, but worse was to come. Wurmbrand writes, in the end they brought his 14-year-old son and began to whip the boy in front of the father, saying that they would continue to beat him until the pastor said what they wished him to say. The poor man was half mad. He bore it as long as he could. When he could stand it no more, he cried to his son, Alexander, I must say what they want. I can't bear your being beaten any more. The son answered, Father, don't do me the injustice to have a traitor as a parent. Withstand. If they kill me, I will die with the words, Jesus and my fatherland. The communists, enraged, fell upon the child and beat him to death. He died praising God. Vermbrand concludes, our dear brother Florescu was never the same after seeing this. And who, who would be? Well, today we're continuing our studies in Matthew chapters 8 to 10. And we're focusing on the contempt, the command, and finally the confession. The contempt, the command, and then the confession. First, we have the contempt. You see that in verses 24 down to 25, where Jesus tells his followers about the contempt that they ought to expect. Now, before proceeding, let's remember where we've been. Uh, Jesus has given his 12 disciples, his inner circle, an assignment, verses 1 to 15. He has told them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, that is, to their own people, and he has told them that they are to announce that the kingdom of heaven, the saving reign of God, has come. It is at hand. And he has told them that their message will be received by some, but also rejected by others. Jesus has gone on to give a word of advice in verse 16. He has told them that he is sending them out as sheep into the midst of wolves. They are going into a hostile and a dangerous environment. And as they find themselves in such a hostile and dangerous environment, he has advised them to be as wise as serpents and yet as innocent or gentle as doves. Finally, Jesus has given a word of admonition in verses 17 to 23. He has told them to expect to face religious and civil opposition because of his name. He has told them to expect to be hounded by family and hated by all because of their allegiance to him. But he has also assured them that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will not forget about them. He will not forsake them. We now find Jesus telling his followers about the contempt that they ought to expect 
and that's in verses 24 and 25. Jesus begins by giving two analogies in verse 24 and the beginning of verse 25. He tells him that a disciple isn't above his teacher. Uh, Rather, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. He continues by telling them that a servant isn't above his master. Rather, it's enough for the servant to be like his master. Now, in using these two analogies, Jesus is illustrating the relationship that he has with these 12 men. He he is their teacher, and they are his disciples. He is their master, and they are his servants. Quite simply, he is superior, and they are subordinate. And having presented these two analogies, Jesus speaks about the antagonism that the twelve should expect. Look again at verse 25. He presents himself as being the master of the house, the head of the family, once again emphasizing his superior position, and he claims that his opponents have been calling him Beelzebul. That name Beelzebul means Lord of the Flies or Lord of the Dunghill. The first century Jews used it as a term for Satan, the prince of demons, God's great adversary. And here is Jesus highlighting that his opponents have been calling him Beelzebul, the prince of demons. It's their supreme insult that they've been using of him. But he's not finished. Because he has just said that a disciple isn't above his teacher, nor is a servant above his master. And he now claims that his disciples, his servants, the members of his household, ought to expect to receive greater reproach, greater contempt from those who have been opposed to him. He tells them that they will be maligned, and they will be maligned much more than he was. Friends, as we consider these verses, we've been shown the contempt that we ought to expect. The contempt that we ought to expect. That is what we see in Matthew 8, Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is sending the twelve out on mission. They're going out with the message of the kingdom, the message of God's saving reign. And as he sends them out, he reminds them that he has been maligned, he has been bad-mouthed, he has been name-called by his opponents. And then he tells them to expect similar reproach, similar maligning, similar contempt. And that is something that we need to remember, friends. Jesus is telling each one of us, as we read these verses, to expect to experience reproach, expect to experience maligning, expect to experience contempt as we proclaim his gospel, as we proclaim the message of his kingdom, as we proclaim the good news of God's salvation. We might not be called Beelzebul, that we might be called bigoted as we say that Jesus is the only way to God, the only way to heaven, the only way to eternal life. We might not be called Beelzebul, but we might be called intolerant. We might be called narrow-minded as we defend the truths that Jesus taught concerning marriage, concerning gender. As we consider these verses, friends, let's remember the contempt that we ought to expect. The contempt that we should be ready to experience. That's the first point Jesus is making. Second, we have the command. Look at verses 26 down to 31. Jesus now gives his followers a command about whom they should and shouldn't fear. 
Having spoken about the prospect of experiencing contempt, Jesus commands the twelve not to be fearful of men because they have a message to proclaim. Look at verses 26 and 27. Jesus opens by giving a prohibition. He tells the twelve to have no fear of them. People are going to malign them. People are going to treat them with contempt. That is guaranteed. That is to be expected. But Jesus says, have no fear of such people. And he continues by telling the twelve that they have a message which must be proclaimed. The things that have been covered are going to be revealed. The things that have been hidden are going to be made known. The things that Jesus has told them in the dark are going to be spoken in the light. The things that Jesus has whispered to them are to be shouted from the housetops or the rooftops, the public places. The message of the kingdom, the message that Jesus has given the twelve, isn't to be muttered among themselves. It is not to be mumbled among themselves. It is to be preached. It is to be proclaimed. And it's to be preached. It is to be proclaimed publicly. So Jesus commands the twelve not to be afraid of men because they have a message to proclaim. Jesus goes on to command the twelve not to be fearful of men because it's only God whom they should fear. Look at verse 28. Jesus tells them not to fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't tell the twelve that they will be spared from harm. Instead, he tells them to accept the very real possibility that they might be put to death. Their bodies might well be destroyed. But that is the most that their opponents can do. They can kill the body, but they cannot kill the eternal soul. And he goes on to command them to fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Now that word hell is significant. The Greek word is Gehenom, which is a translation of the Hebrew word Gehinom, which means Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom was a valley outside of Jerusalem where the city's rubbish was burned on a constant, continual basis. It was a place where the Jews had sacrificed to the false gods of the nations many years before. It was a place that the prophet Jeremiah described as being an accursed environment. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, maybe Robert and Merdina were there on their recent travels, you can go through this valley of Gehinnom, and people call it a tour of hell, because that is the picture that Jesus is presenting here. He's speaking about this rubbish dump, this hellish place and it was used in Jesus day to describe the place of eternal fire that God was going to have at the end of time at the day of judgment and now Jesus is telling the twelve not to fear man but to fear the one fear the God who has the power and the authority to cast people into the lake of eternal fire into the eternal rubbish dump where body and soul will be destroyed. The book of Proverbs says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And here's Jesus telling the twelve that their fear of God should eclipse their fear of man. That is a wise course of action. And then Jesus concludes by commanding the twelve not to be fearful of man, because this same God cares about them. Look at verses 29 to 31. He draws their attention to God's knowledge of sparrows. He speaks about two sparrows being sold for a penny, less than an hour's wage. 
These sparrows have no value in the eyes of man. No significance in the eyes of man. They were used for food by the, by the very poorest of the poor. You wouldn't need to eat insect burgers in Jesus' day. It was sparrow burgers in Jesus' day. But Jesus says that not one sparrow falls to the ground outside the knowledge of their father. They are enveloped. Even the little sparrow is enveloped in God's sovereign watch care. Jesus goes further though and says that God has numbered the hairs on the heads of the twelve. The book of Psalms speaks about the hairs on a person's head being uncountable. They're unknown. But they're not uncountable to God. They're not unknown to God. And Jesus draws things to a close by commanding the twelve not to be afraid because they are of more value than many sparrows. He has just spoken to them about the God who refuses to forget the the tiny sparrows, the worthless sparrows, the valueless sparrows. These sparrows appear to be worth nothing, but Jesus says God notices each one that falls. And then he says, and you, you who have been created in the image of God, you who are now going out on mission for God, you are of more value than many sparrows. It's the argument from the lesser to the greater. If God can care about a tiny little sparrow, how much more can he care about one created in his image and going out on his mission? So don't fear. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being shown the command that Jesus gives to those who are on mission for him. The command that Jesus gives to those who are on mission for him. That is what we see in Matthew 10. He commands the twelve not to be fearful of men as they go out proclaiming the gospel, as they go out proclaiming the kingdom, as they go out announcing the saving reign of God. Instead, they are to fear God. There to fear the one who can consume both body and soul in hell, but he is also the one who cares about them and cares about the smallest details of their lives down to the last hair on their heads. And that, friends, is something that we need to remember. Edward Welch has written a book entitled When People Are Big and God is Small. And in it he writes, we fear people because they can expose us and humiliate us. We fear people because they can reject us or ridicule us or despise us. We fear people because they can attack us, oppress us or threaten us. These three reasons have one thing in common. They see people as bigger, that is more powerful and significant than God. And out of the fear that creates in us, We give other people the power and right to tell us what to feel, what to think, what to do. Now over the last few weeks, you've heard me speaking about sharing the gospel. You've heard me speak about heralding the kingdom. You've heard me speak about sharing the message of God's salvation in Christ. Can I now ask a personal question? How many of us have done so over the last few weeks? How many of us have told a friend, told a family member, told a neighbour, told a school friend, told a colleague about Jesus? 
And if we haven't, was it because we didn't have the time? Was it because we didn't have the opportunity? Was it because we didn't have the knowledge? Or was it simply due to our fear of man? Today Jesus is telling us, don't fear man. Fear God. Fear the one who can consume body and soul in hell, but who also cares about you down to the smallest, least significant details of your life. That is a command, friend, that is coming from Jesus. It's not coming from me. It's not coming from Matthew. It's coming from Jesus. Don't fear man. Fear God. Third and finally, we have the confession. Look at verses 32 down to 33, where Jesus now speaks to his followers about the necessity of confessing him. The necessity of confessing him. Jesus begins by speaking about those who confess him in verse 32. He begins by speaking about everyone who acknowledges him. This word acknowledge refers to an open confession. Jesus is speaking about people who aren't ashamed uh, to affirm their solidarity with him. And Jesus says that he will acknowledge every person who acknowledges him before his Father who is in heaven. The picture Jesus is presenting is of standing before the throne of God on the last day. Standing before the throne of God on the day of judgment. And on that day God's law will be accusing them. On that day the devil will be accusing them. On that day their own hearts, their own consciences will be accusing them. And when all hope seems to be lost, when the hellfire seems to be beckoning them, Jesus will step forward and will stand between them and his Father and he will say, Father, they are mine. They belong to me. They were not ashamed of me and I am not ashamed of them. They acknowledged me in this world and I am acknowledging them for the world to come. Everyone who acknowledges me, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But he's not finished. Because he goes on to speak about those who don't confess him. Look at verse 33. He speaks about whoever denies him. These are people who refuse to make an open confession regarding him. These are people who are ashamed, embarrassed to admit any solidarity with him. These are people who deny him, people who disown him, people who distance themselves from him. And Jesus says that he will deny anyone who denies him before his Father who is in heaven. Again, the picture is of standing before the throne of God on the last day, the day of judgment. And on that day, God's law will be accusing them. The devil will be accusing them. Their own hearts, their own consciences will be accusing them. The, the gates of the hellfire will be beckoning to them. And they will look in desperation for Jesus, who will be sitting at the right hand of his Father. And they'll say, Jesus, remember me. Remember me. And he will turn and say those terrifying words. 
horrifying words. Depart from me. I never knew you. I haven't a clue who you are because you spent the whole of your life saying you didn't know who I was. Depart from me. Well, as we consider these verses, we've been shown the importance of confessing Jesus, the importance of confessing Jesus. That is what we see in Matthew 10. Jesus is saying that there will be those who acknowledge him before men and there will be those who deny him before men. And he's saying that he will acknowledge those who acknowledge him, but he will deny those who deny him before his Father who is in heaven. It is very simple, but it's also very solemn. And it's so important, friends, for us to remember today, Jesus is a Lord and a Savior who is to be confessed with our lips and confessed with our lives. If we acknowledge him, he will acknowledge us. But if we deny him, if we disown him, he will deny and disown us. And that is such relevance for us as we prepare for another communion service next weekend. There is a word for those of you who are intending on coming to the Lord's table next week. As you go to that table, you are making a public profession of your faith. As you go to that table, you are declaring Jesus to be your Lord and your friend. As you go to that table, you are declaring that you desperately need Jesus. You are saying, I'm not a good person. You're saying, I don't have my life sorted. You're saying, I don't have my life fixed. I don't have my life together. But I need Jesus. And I need his salvation. As you go to that table, you're declaring that you are looking forward to the great day when you will one day sit in the eternal banqueting hall with Jesus, of which that table is simply a foretaste and preview of. That is what you are doing as you go to the table, friend. You are acknowledging Jesus. You are confessing Jesus. You are saying, I am not ashamed of Jesus. But there is also a word for those of you who aren't intending on coming to his table. Can I say to you today, friend, that you are also making a public profession? Now, you might be able to list of many reasons for not going to the Lord's table, but... But I want to gently remind you that by not going to his table, you are refusing to publicly acknowledge, publicly confess Jesus to be your Lord, to be your friend. Today you might feel that your faith is weak. You might feel that your knowledge is limited. You might have an increasingly low opinion of yourself and maybe others have a low opinion on you as well. But if you love the Lord, if you see him as your friend, then your place is at his table, confessing with his people, come, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. You may have absolutely nothing to offer, but the simple testimony, my Jesus. And that is enough. So as we consider these verses, friends, let's take to heart the importance of confessing the one who is able, confessing the one who is qualified, confessing the one who is sufficient, confessing the one who is equipped to be our advocate, our great heavenly intercessor, our great priest. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be those who confess him. Let's pray.